Okay, so we're just going to get going. Um, people may show up at 6.30. We did the last one at 6.30 and not 6. And so we're trying to get to 6 so we can get people out here at a decent time. Anyway, see how this goes for us. Uh, so if you see anybody walk in late or anybody talks about coming to the next one, the next one we're going to do is Super 8. Uh, it'll be in two weeks and starts at 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock. <laughs> First-timers will be gentle with, we promise. <laughs> so uh, as we start, uh, like I do every year, the first one of these that I do, Donald started last week, so I didn't get to talk about it, but you got to remember that your minds are always on. Whatever you do, whatever you see, your mind is always going. Uh, we never shut them off. We're always observing things, processing information, and so there's no such thing out there as mindless entertainment. Uh, everything you watch sits somewhere inside of you. And so that means that we try not to run from culture. It means we engage it and ingest it. But in doing that, we discern it and understand it so we can properly relate the gospel to it. And so wrapping our minds around narrative themes allows us to engage. The Apostle Paul goes into, into Athens and Greece, sees narrative themes of the people who are around him, buying into all kinds of crazy stuff, and he engages those themes directly, uh, showing how things are and uh, versus how they think things are. Uh, this shows what they are hoping uh, is real versus what is actually real and how all these things can go together to point to the one true God actually is and that reality is always found in him. Uh, we believe that God is a storyteller and all of our attempts at storytelling are merely a reflection of God as the great storyteller. So we try and tell stories that reflect that as well. I mean, God starts in the beginning. And then the story just takes off from there. So when we look at films, you always want to see who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, uh, what's the message, who's the antagonist, the protagonist, uh, what is the truth that I'm being sold to as this film, what are the meta-narratives, you know, what equals tragedy, what equals romance, how do all these things play out. And again, we don't show you movies you know, just because we want to preach at you, we show you movies because we enjoy them and we think they're an awful lot of fun, but we also watch discerningly the movies that we see and we want you to watch with discernment as well. And so you need to always ask, you know, how does what we watch speak to the writer's view of humanity and the writer's view of God? And uh, tonight when we show this movie called The Adjustment Bureau, uh, if you have very sensitive sensibilities, uh, th there's a lot of shits. Uh, there's a, there, it's PG-13, so there's one F word uh, in there, so sorry if you're really offended by that, but it's in there. We don't cut movies because when we talk about them, we want you to see them as the directors originally intended them to be seen. So we can talk about it as everybody else has seen it and not some crazy cut-up version that nobody's ever seen. So in the Adjustment Bureau, the first time I saw this movie, to be honest, I took me a little bit of time to warm up to it. I was kind of like, eh, whatever, but I kept thinking about it after it was over. You ever watch a movie and you keep thinking about it after it's done, right? And that, that means it's a good movie because you keep thinking about it. Uh, the Adjustment Bureau was released in 2011. It cost $50 million estimated to make. Uh, about as of a year ago, worldwide, it's made about $127 million. Uh, it stars three main people in this movie, Matt Damon. If you don't know who Matt Damon is, uh, in 30 Rock, he played Liz Lemon's boyfriend for a while. <laughs> and, that's and that's all he's done. Uh, any of the Bourne movies, so far, except for the new one, uh, that's Jeremy Reiner, who's in the new Bourne movie that's coming out in August. Uh, Emily Blunt. I think she's, she's a great actress. I really do. If you've never seen the movie Young Victoria, I recommend you all go rent it and watch it. They might even be on Netflix now. I'm not sure. There's also a guy, his name is Anthony Mackie. Uh, people go, who's that? Uh, he was in The Hurt Locker. He's a Million Dollar Baby. In Notorious, he played Tupac 
You're like, oh, I still know that is right. Uh, I think he looks a lot like Will Smith. I, re- I really do. Uh, he was in Real Steel, and he's also in the new Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. He's, he's in that movie as well. So, yeah. And actually, if, you, if you're a Lost fan, uh, Daniel Day Kim was actually in this movie, but all of his scenes got cut. So you never even see him in the movie. I know, I know. Uh, the movie is written and directed by a guy named George Nolfi, who wrote The Bourne Ultimatum and Ocean's 12. You would never know it by watching this movie. Uh, the movie is based on a short story by a guy named Philip K. Dick. You've probably seen some of his movies before. If you're a Nicolas Cage fan, in 2007, a movie came out called Next. Right? Oh, yeah, he's not in this movie. You're okay. You're okay. <laughs> Did you put the money in the box? Uh, next is based on a, a thing called a, a short story called The Golden Man. In 2006, a movie came out called A Scanner Darkly. Uh, that was also based on a Philip K. Dick book. Uh, 2003, a movie came out named Paycheck. All right, anybody? Okay, yeah. Here, uh, Mel Gibson. 2002, Minority Report is also a Philip K. Dick book. Uh, 1995, Screamers, uh, off a short story called Second Variety. In 1990, and then also later this year, a movie called Total Recall. comes out also based on a book by Philip K. Dick and what he did. This is the actual name of the short story, is We Can Remember It For You Wholesale. Is Total Recall's actual name is the book. In 1982, we did this little movie called Blade Runner. All right, and based on his book, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? That's the name of the book that he wrote. Now, the Adjustment Bureau is based on a book of his called The Adjustment Team. I'll give you a couple of fun things to look for during the movie. Uh, Matt Damon will wear a baseball cap in the movie with the letter F. That stands for Fordham University, which is where some of this was actually filmed. Uh, the name of the three main members of the Adjustment Bureau are Thompson, Richardson, and Harry, which is a play on the term Tom, Dick, and Harry. Yeah, so the anonymous persons. Uh, there's actually a cell phone number that Matt uh, Damon is given by Emily Blunt in the movie. The number is 212-664-7665. That is a number that's actually owned by Universal Studios. It has appeared in many different movies, like Definitely Maybe, uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. It appeared in that as well. It's an effort to avoid that whole 555 thing and all the prefixes of all those movies. Uh, outside a bar in one scene on the wall is written a sign that says 24 hours a day, 24 beers in the case. This is a quote that came from Paul Newman. Uh, some of Emily Blunt's scenes, she is, she's a dancer, and so you'll see her dance. Uh, that's actually a body double, and they digitally put her face on the body double who's dancing. And then also one of the production companies for this film is Electric Shepherd Productions, which is also based on that name of the book, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? And one last thing as we start is, remember, in any unfair race, it can be won by hitting the other person in the stomach. You'll see what we mean in the movie. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being a God who gives us the gift of cinema and the ability to enjoy it. We thank you for creativity, and we ask that you would help us to be those who can watch things discerningly, uh, to honor and love you in all that we do. Amen. All right, here's the Adjustment Bureau. All right. Adjustment Bureau. Actually, in the end, of, I guess they originally had planned they're going to have them run into a female chairman at the end, but they scrapped that finale and reshot shot the finale like that. So, okay, what are your thoughts? <laughs> it's like a, I think it's interesting that the pedestal of this culture puts the concept of love on. Uh-huh. Emphasis of where love is. What else? i got a whole thing to talk about. I'm just, you know, throwing it out there for you. Is what you guys think? If they've been monitoring, you know, uh, humankind for hundreds of years and doors have only been around for the past, you know, 400 or so, what did they do before that? Yeah. They, <laughs> did they have, like, Roman centurion helmets before where they had to, this is your hat? Potholes, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What do you guys think? Where, okay, where do you think the movie succeeded? 
making you think about there's something bigger than you out there. Okay. Maybe it's not the right point, but... Yeah, there's, there's something bigger than you? There's someone designing a plan. Someone designing a plan? Staying aware. Staying aware? When, when we watched it with our family, oh, like, a year ago, or whenever it came out on video, um, <laughs> I was... You know, the kids were like, oh, that was a good movie. And I was totally horrified. Yes. <laughs> yes. We're going to talk about why we're totally horrified in just a second. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so that, that was, so I was interested. That's part of why I wanted to come today, because I wanted to see. Oh. oh well, what's, what's Aaron going to say about yeah, that? <laughs> but, yeah, just that, 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 you know, as humans, we've always been trying to fight against the yeah. will that God has set for us. Yeah. And, and it's difficult to come under it, and because we always think we know better. Yes. Very much so. Well, yeah. I, yes. I thought it was interesting that we know that, but they don't. Yeah. You know, it's almost as if they don't realize that they're puppets almost. Mm -hmm. You know, at least we know that there's a higher power, you know, and God is up there with a plan and we're fighting it. They don't even realize that they're fighting anything. So we would say these are the areas that failed <laughs> in theology, right? right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think it does good good job. Like you have some some real life people in it, like John Stewart's in there, uh, Mary Matlin, or and John what's his Carvel. You know, they're they're in there, and so it's like, oh, it kind of makes it real. I, you know, I, again, I love the interview with John Stewart on there because it makes it seem like it's oh, it's based in reality. Uh, and then you get to the end, and everybody loves a happy ending, but you got to really think: is it really a happy ending? I mean, you get to the end of the, it's all, oh, they're so great together, it's a love story, oh, is it, but is it happy? I mean, the, the question that comes down is, do we deal our lives in the ideas of random chance, the chairman, or our own choices? I mean, those are the three questions you get in the movie. Do we control our destiny, or do unseen forces manipulate us? I mean, is it, is it chance or a creator who really doesn't know the end of the story yet, trying to figure it all out? I mean, is it our choices that rule the world? You know, uh, does Emily Blunt become a homeless dancer at some point, and Matt Damon doesn't become president, and the economy tanks? Is that is that what's going to happen? I mean, forget about the country and his career. You know, we'll just give him each other. You know, doesn't true love triumph over everything? That's uh, you know, that, that's like uh, my wife watches this show called Once Upon a Time, and that's all. True love is the strongest magic in the world. Really, is, is that what it is? And in the middle of the film, there's that conversation that takes place and explain, well, in the 70s and the 80s and 90s, they were designed and destined to be together. That was the plan until 2005. Apparently, that's a really bad year for them because after that, you know, the plan's revised. And so, you know, is it, is it true love? Is it true love or is it like a bad version of iTunes you download to overwrite the old version of iTunes but doesn't do it just right because it doesn't turn out just right on the other side? All the old stuff didn't really get taken away. It's just kind of sitting there under, under the surface. You know, the, you know, do we step to a chairman's plan that seems to get revised in the middle of the season so we don't know what's going on? I mean, it seems like the movie's whole idea has to do less, you know, with their feelings and more with the ineptitude of people who are in control of them. I mean, Tom, Dick, and Harry work for this finite and limited chairman. You know, he, he says that you know, they don't have the ability or manpower to monitor the entire world. And then he says, and we can't see through water. I mean, did the chairman forget about that when he wrote The Flood? You know, I mean, what, what's going on in there? The, the, Dick says, the chairman has a plan. We, on, we only see part of it. But in reality, the chairman doesn't even see the whole plan. I mean, that's the problem with the movie. I mean, they, they say, you surprise the chairman. I would call that short-sighted sovereignty. That's what I would call that. And, and it doesn't, shouldn't bring anybody any comfort. You know, or it should bring us anger if the chairman was actually that way. You know, they said, I didn't see, uh, it, it's like they come in and they say, I didn't see the great outcome. You know, wh what do you think? I'm actually God that I'd see all the things that were going to happen? 
You know, and then what if later the chairman decides to change his mind again? You know, will, will Matt and Emily Blunt be happy in the life or that, you know, when all the things that they've left behind? Will the chairman find somebody else to take Matt Damon's place in running for president? And if so, why didn't he just do that in the first place and save us all the chase scenes and all the lost hats and all that kind of stuff? I mean, why? Why not just do that? You know, this view of God has our eyesight. It doesn't have the eyesight of the God of the Scriptures. It is a diminished God that becomes very popular today in a lot of circles called a progressive theology or open theism. It's a God who learns along with us. You know, but that's the whole consequence. Oops, we almost lobotomized you and set you back to zero. That, that's what that God comes you know, Well, I better pay closer attention next time. You know, uh, look at my creatures so I can learn better. I mean, if that was the view of God that the Scriptures taught, I would be like one blogger who wrote about this movie, he says, I think the message of the movie is that we need to stop letting our lives be run by a book, the Bible, and start thinking for ourselves. Well, I'd run from that God, too, if that's the God that the Bible showed. Because, you know, the, the ascension in the end say, well, maybe the chairman wants you to write your own plan. God's just wanting for you to show him that you don't really need him. I mean, is that really what our Heavenly Father wants from us as people? No. Okay, the answer is no, just in case you didn't know. God doesn't want us to be our own God. I mean, originally there was a messenger, an angel who brought that message to mankind. In Genesis 3, the serpent says, I've got an adjustment plan for you. Wait till you hear about it. I'm going to tell you, you can be like God. Oh, isn't that so great? I mean, 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells us, it says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I mean, the enemy is always telling us, run things our own way. You don't need God. And the way, you know, the chairman runs them through hoops in this movie, I don't think that's really the chairman. I think that's the enemy because the enemy wants you to run through hoops like that. I mean, they, they try to make you hate Thompson. You know, he, says, he says, we tried free will before and it gave us the dark ages, World War I, the Depression, fascism, Cuban Missile Crisis. You know, but this chairman on their side doesn't know what he's doing. The movie tells you you can change your fate, reach the chairman, write your own story. You know what you feel. Oh, your heart tells you the truth all the time. Raise your hands if your heart has never deceived you. Exactly, exactly. Have you ever lied to yourself? Of course we all have. Isaiah 30, verse 1, God says, Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine, who make an alliance but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. I mean, we tell ourselves like Matt Damon, this can't be wrong. It feels so right. I'm sure if I could just tell God what I really felt, he would agree with me and let me have my own plan. You know, there's someone in the scripture named Job, and he gets that opportunity to go and he gets to question God. And God's response to Job is essentially, yeah, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? That's God's questions back to Job. It implies a sovereignty that the chairman in this movie just does not possess. You know, the chairman of the Adjustment Bureau, he might change his mind. But Numbers 23.19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? He, and he has spo Or he has spoken, and will he not fulfill it? See, in, in the movie, they rewrote their plan. And so you get to 2011, so they rewrite it again in 2011 to the better plan so they can stay together. But, you know, did the plan change in 2005 because maybe some other lovebirds got together and showed their plan to the chairman? And what's going to happen when another pair of lovebirds get to the chairman and maybe that interferes with their plan? What's ha Nothing is set. Nothing is secure. 
This is why we believe in a God that is sovereign. He has plans and he completes his plans. Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You don't have to live in fear that God's going to rewrite anything. See, Matt Damon says, all I have is the choices I make. Really? Is that all we have? The choices that we make? We are more than the choices that we make. Because if that's all that we had, we'd all be doomed. Proverbs 16, 9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We may have plans, but God establishes our steps. Choice, chance, chairman. We make decisions. We have these choices, but the ultimate outcome is always in God's hands. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, meaning you may cast your dice and think it's going to roll this way, chance is going to rule. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. See, God knows every role and there's no such thing as chance. There is nothing unknown by a God that is sovereign, and that brings you and I great comfort. You know, in the original story by Philip K. Dick, what happens at the end is the man goes back to God's plan, his eyes drift heavenward, and he thanks God that God showed him what he wanted him to do. And so Hollywood comes in, and Hollywood even adjusts the end of the Adjustment Bureau for the movie to portray it the way that they want. You know, and this is really, you've got to be careful what you wish for a story. Because if you want a God more like you, then rebellion at times is going to be warranted. But if God is sovereign, truly in control, then our rebellion is simply sin. And that's all that it is. And so the movie pits reason against emotion and fails. Because it pits that the chairman is just a God of reason. And he's not a God of love. And our God is a God of both. Romans 8, 28 to 30 says, And we know that uh, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. But the verse doesn't stop there. It keeps going. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he also justified, he also glorified. I think that's the story of a God who is a hopeless romantic, because the scripture is a story of destiny. I think my wife and I, we didn't meet by chance. We met by the sovereign will of God. You're here tonight watching this crazy movie by Matt Damon, you know, and it's not by chance. God's redemptive plan is never by chance. It is destiny. Ephesians 1, 7 through 12 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Earth In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. See, that's a plan. And we thank God that he's not a God like the chairman of the Adjustment Bureau because our God adjusted our hell-bent course. And we do not need to impress or fight or manipulate him because he calls us sons and daughters. And there's no rewrites, there's no adjustments needed in any of that. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is called immutability, and that is something that we hold to as believers. Anything else, you guys? You're like, yeah, that's got it, right? Anything else that you want to add? Really? Do I just shut the room down? Is that what I do? I just, I, I, personally, me, I, I look at movies like this, and I look at the way Hollywood portrays 
love and marriage and what a relationship between a man and a woman will love. I met you, we kissed. Let's hop into bed. Because yeah. that's yeah. a logical next step, right? Makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. And, and not just that, but just the... the there, there was a comment in the movie that I found particularly, I don't want to say offensive because I don't get offended easily, but when he said, there was a, one, of the, one of the adjusters said, she's enough, yeah. right? That, that, that longing, that void inside that he, tried, that, that he tries to fill unsuccessfully with mm-hmm. uh, praise and, and his own worship from other, from, yeah. from other people can somehow be filled by another flawed, simple human being. Yes. And that's the... That's the, the guys that we go into marriage with, yeah. that, that we fall in love with, I mean, that the culture would have us believe, is that all of the things that we're looking for in life, we can totally find in another person yeah. until about five years down the road when we realize, wow, that person's just as flawed as I am. Right. And instead of marriage being a reflection of our relationship with God and the church's relationship with Christ, instead it becomes all about failed expectations mm-hmm. and... And despair. And yeah, what, what the movie just did was said that person is enough to be your God. Exactly. Yeah. I, if I if I worship another person enough, they'll complete me. Yeah. And it's it's just I mean it's a lie from the pit of hell. I don't even know how right. to put it. It's just it's tragic. Woo-hoo. Aaron, when I used to when I used to work with our youth group in Maryland, I used to tell them all the time. Shakespeare wrote Romeo and Juliet as a tragedy, not a love story. And it's like today our society, our culture thinks that, you know, that whole idea of rebellion is what equals love. And Shakespeare said all those years ago, hello, this is not a good thing. It's not a good, you know, I mean, and and so, but we we continue to find these stories all the time that rebellion equals true love. And what does that, you know, what does that tell our kids? What does that tell our it's a horrible, sad, sad, sad thing, and people pay for that for the rest of their lives. You know, the sad thing, too, is when you when you watch TV shows today, it's like, what's the big commitment? Oh, we're going to move in together. Right. Really? Yeah. That's, that's the big commitment. Right. Okay, buddy. <laughs> you know, oh, I'm thinking about it. It's, it, it's, it's sad what our culture has done. You know, yeah. I, I'd love to see the sequel. I wouldn't want to see the sequel. <laughs> No, it's a good. I mean, it's a fun movie, right? right. It's it's a good movie. Movie. It really is. But the sequel being five years from now, and how the choice to not follow the written plan or God's plan, and the the repercussions of that, not just on them, but on everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because our choices to follow our heart and to 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 make decisions based on our feelings mm-hmm. have have those ripples that they talked about, but not in a good way. You know, and. Yeah. I would, you know, that I would hope at some point that the the um, sequel is how how wonderful this was. Now, you know, now the world is imploding. Yeah. Because, yeah. I really like when, I mean, when he's trying to get the cab. But you know what I mean. And when he's trying to get the cab, and he's all, "Don't these people have plans? Aren't they supposed to be somewhere? Aren't you messing them up? By you know, what are the ripples in this?" Right. Yeah. Because you you have ripples. <laughs> That you may never see, you know, and, and working with the kids, you know, we work with the youth group too in our other church, and it's the same thing. You you may touch a kid, a kid's heart, you know, when they're in seventh grade, and then you don't see them again. Mm-hmm. But what you did has some, hopefully, positive ripples down the road, you know, and it's that that whole mustard seed analogy. And, but it can also go so bad if that interaction early on is not a good one. Right.
But that's also, again, in the end, why you trust that God is a God who actually has a plan and we trust him in that. So it doesn't all rest upon our shoulders. It doesn't all rest upon us, you know, setting the plan up just the right way because God has set the plan up the right way. And we just, you know, we do what we're called to do and we leave all of that in his hands. It's it's a very, this is not a very comforting way to live if this was the God of the world right here. You know, but God being the sovereign God that he is, it's a very comforting process. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being a God who is sovereign and is in control and can take all of our sin and turn it to your good and put it on the right place that it needs to be in your plan. And I ask that we'd be a people who understand that better as our lives go on and that we would trust you more and more and and live in great freedom because we have a great God who gives us that great freedom. Amen. So two weeks, uh, Super 8, and we'll start at 6.